You are listening to the MZBC Students Greenhouse Podcast. For more information about Mount Zion Baptist Church, go to mzbc.net slash students or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at mzbcstudents. Okay. Um, the uh, the interns and JJ, um, I told them that like told them about our, our message, and they 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 found that video for us, and it's theoretically gonna fit. Um, it's it's gonna, but like for real, like there's there's it'll get, we'll get there. Um, I love that guy saying put on your PPEs, like that's like some next level OSHA jokes there, and you don't know what OSHA means. Um, anyway, so as we start out, like I, I just want to like I, I love. I love being your student minister. I love getting to hang out with you. I like like going on trips with you and knowing all your little weirdness. Like I I love all of that. I think we're the best student ministry in the history of student ministries um, because of you people. And uh, but being your student minister means some things. One of the things it means is that that I get in uh, really awkward situations sometimes. Um, Sometimes it's just talking with you because you're just awkward, um, and that's that's a lot of them. That's probably the majority of them. Uh, but then, but then there's other weird situations where like a girl will come up to me and and ask me a question about a guy in our student ministry, and they're like, "Hey, should I should I date him?" That puts me in a weird situation, right? Because like I want to have all of your backs. I'm for all of you, but the answer is no. Like it's sometimes it's just no. Like you totally that guy's awful, but I can't tell you that. You know, like you really should run, but I can't. It's awkward, right? There's another one. Um, this one happens with some regularity. Uh, um, uh, you guys asked me to do the, the, the uh, like reference letter thing. And it's usually for scholarships. And so it's like you get to be a junior, senior, whatever. You start asking me to write reference letters for you. And I try to make you sound like you are deserving of not a $10,000 scholarship. They should increase it to like $25,000 because you are such a great human being. It hasn't happened yet, but that's my goal. Um, and so uh, I, I try to write these things and make you sound awesome and glorious. And then there's like job applications and stuff. But sometimes um, more than one person will ask me to write a reference for the same thing. And then I just pick one of you. No, I'm just kidding. Like, but they, 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 there's, I pick my favorite and I just say they're awesome. And these other two people, I just like seal the envelope real good. And I'm, that's not what happens. But I, I mean, because there's like that whole, you know, I'm, I'm, I, try, I don't want to play favorites with you. I, I, I want you both to get the scholarship, right? But if there's only like one thing, I, I, it's, it's, it's like a, it's a tough deal for me. So um, the key there is like, don't like talk amongst each other, figure out who's like, Britain's going to get my reference, and then you get somebody else to write somebody else's. Because I, I want, you know, you want to be for all of these. These are awkward situations. And, it, and it, it, it's funny because there's so much, of, um, so much of, of us, like so much of our world really depends on, on how good you are, like, how, like your resume and how, how uh, awesome you can sound in a reference letter. And that determines how much scholarship money you can get, which determines what school you can get into, which determines how good of an education you can get, which determines which master's program you can get into and determines whether you can be an astronaut or not. Okay, like that's, um, that's, that's how this kind of works. It's all based on you and your resume and how good you at least appear stacked up to everybody else. And then, and then Jesus comes, and he has this way of taking your resume and all of your, uh, all of your glory, all of the stuff that you've worked so hard for yourself, and all of your confidence, and all of your self-esteem, and all of you, like, all of the stuff that you're so proud of, and putting it on a hundred-ton crusher thingy, <laughs> and just smashing it. 
Like there's, there's a part of this where he's like, I'm just really not interested in your, in your resume at all. In fact, it's sometimes exactly the opposite of that. We, this, this is the exact situation that we, we find, our, uh, find Jesus in, in in Luke chapter 4. We're continuing our march through the book of Luke, um, and uh, we're at this passage in Luke chapter 4 where this is exactly the case, where Jesus takes somebody's resume and smushes it and, and basically says, I'm not interested in how good you are. I'm not interested in how uh, fantastic you seem or how um, anything you are. I'm just not interested in that. And he just crushes it. And it doesn't really go well doesn't go well. So it's Luke chapter 4, beginning of verse 14, um, and goes all the way down through 30, all right? And so I'm, we're going to, I'm just going to kind of like tell you, a, a, tell you the story of a lot of it, because it's a lot to read, and then um, some points we'll, we'll zoom in and actually like read, read text there. So in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, you know, we just came out of last week where we, we talked about how Jesus was uh, led by the Spirit out into the wilderness, and he was tested for 40 days, and, and there was this whole temptation scenario. And before that, that um, he had been baptized by John, and, and the Holy Spirit had landed on him in like, the, like a physical, tangible form, and how the Father um, had spoken audibly and, and, uh, over him, that you're my son with whom I'm well pleased. And so after that, Jesus um, is kind of legend. Uh, like he's, he's, he's getting a little bit of, um, not a little bit, there's, there's some... Uh, momentum behind him. There's stories being told, like people are hearing about him. So he, he, he does this baptism thing, and people see and hear and see hear it, and then tell other people they hear of it. And then Jesus begins kind of his his public ministry. So he kind of comes back to his home region, like your region is North Alabama. It's supposed to be Jesus, like coming back over to North Alabama, and he starts teaching around in all these synagogues. Synagogues are like Jewish churches, all right, and that's that's like they they have services there, and and so he starts teaching around, and and the way he would teach, the, the with the authority that with with which he would teach, people started noticing and telling other people and and getting excited about it, and and then he did, he started performing his first miracles at this wedding in Cana. And, People start hearing about that, and, and there's all this, like, these stories that are being told of Jesus. And then, and then like, as this momentum begins to build, it says all these people are, are, are excited about him, are looking, are looking for him, looking to him, and, and it's, it's starting to build. This is kind of the way we imagine Jesus' ministry until the end. We imagine there's a whole bunch of people that are real excited about Jesus, and then at the very end, people will, like, turn south and then end up getting him killed. But it's not exactly always like that. So then Jesus is, is, is starts traveling around North Alabama, right, but you get it, and then he, he makes his way back to his hometown. So this would be kind of like him coming uh, back home to Monrovia, except it wouldn't be Monrovia, it would be like side of Tony or something, you know, like that he, his, his hometown was, was uh, uh, Nazareth, his hometown is Nazareth, and, and so he's, he's hanging out in Nazareth, and Nazareth is the side of nowhere, like it's, it's between these little, this little weird valley thing, and um, no one goes there and no one cares. There's another town that's a much larger town that you've never heard of, and the only reason you've heard of Nazareth is because Jesus was from there. But it's, it's not mentioned hardly anywhere in anything because no one cares because there was this other, like, small town next door to it that dwarfed it, all right? And so, so Jesus comes back to Nazareth, and, he, and he's there on the Sabbath, it's in, and he's, you know, back home. And so, like, all the people he grew up with, it, it's, it's there. It's the streets he grew up at, like, when he, was a, when he was a kid. These are the streets he's walking, and so he goes to his synagogue, like the synagogue he's been going to for the whole, like his whole like childhood and stuff. This is his like home church. So if you're a college kid and you come back to Mount Zion, that's your home church. He comes back home. He's all the same people he's always known, and and, and it's he's there. 
And so they didn't have, they didn't have like full-time staff. Like there's, you know, every time you come to Greenhouse, it's usually me speaking. And it, they, didn't, they didn't do that, all right? And so the way they did it was if, if um, there was a special like rabbi or somebody in the area, they, they'd be invited to teach. And if there wasn't, then just one of you guys would, would, you would teach. And so that week, you know, Jesus is there. And so, like, hey, we've been hearing all this pretty crazy stuff about you. Would you want to teach this week? He's like, yeah, sure. And so the time comes, and, and it says that uh, they, they, um, they give Jesus a scroll. They give him the, the scroll of the book of Isaiah. It's the same book of Isaiah that you got in your Bible, and, but it's a scroll because scrolls were a thing. And they give them this scroll, and it says he stands up, and, he, and he, he, they didn't open it to anything for him. They didn't tell him, like, hey, you need to teach on this section or something. So he, he gets the scroll out, and he, and he finds the place uh, where in, in verse 18 where it says this. And, 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 and he... Um, it's, it, well, I'll just read verse 18. It says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this, this, this passage is talking about why the Messiah what the Messiah was going to do, like what the Savior of the world was, was going to do when he got here, like what his purpose was in being here. And so Jesus goes and finds the passage that explains why the Messiah was going to come, like what he was going to do. Like, so on our side of the story, we know that Jesus is that Messiah, he is that Savior, and so he's reading something about himself. The people there that day, they didn't know that. They weren't sure about that. There might have been whispers about, well, I, wonder if, I wonder if Jesus could be the Messiah, but they didn't know. Right, so it's one. It's kind of it's kind of a weird thing. I, I, so if you're sitting there out in the chair or whatever, and Jesus stands up to read this thing, you might be wondering. Some people are wondering if this guy is the Messiah. Then he stands up and he reads a passage about the Messiah, and you're like, "What are you doing?" Right? It's like, "Are you? What are you trying to say?" It says he reads this, and he does this like hilarious Jesus move where he just rolls it back up, gives it back to the attendant, and goes and sits down. Message over. <laughs> I read that. It's two verses. And he goes and has a seat. And it's just silence. Just like, you could hear a pin drop silent. It says, like, it says in verse 20, uh, 20 uh, yeah, 20, that everybody is, um, is, their eyes are locked on him. Now, Jesus just has this dramatic pause moment. Where he's like, I'm just going to leave in tension what you've heard about me, what you're wondering about me. And then I'm just going to, I'm just going to read this passage. I'm just going to leave that here for you. I'm just going to go sit down. And it's like almost every, everybody in the room is, is looking at him like, uh, so? What are you, are you, are you trying to say something or you just like that passage a lot? Like, is that your life verse? Like, what, what are you doing? Like, is it, why, what are you doing? And so finally, He speaks. Let's the pause hang, and finally he speaks, verse 21, and he says, Today, this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's a fancy way to say, yup, that's me. That whole Messiah, the one that's been promised for a thousand plus years, you know, like forever, like, um, that, yep, it's me. So that's, I'm, I'm the fulfillment of that. He just like, makes this truth claim that, yeah, uh, yeah, what you heard's right, I'm, I'm the son of God. Me and I'm, you know, I'm the Messiah. Ta-da! Right? Do you think that was a, a quiet moment in that synagogue that moment? 
Like, like a human being just made a truth claim that they were the embodiment of the fullness of God, the exact imprint of his nature, that, that he, had, he was the one who had come to uh, set free the captives, to, to set free the oppressed, to, to bring good news to the poor, to bring sight to the blind, like, and, and that's, that's me. That's not a quiet moment. That's one of those moments where, like, everybody starts murmuring or talking or something. Like, like if I were to say, um, tell the person next to you the weirdest thing you've eaten in your life, usually when we do stuff like that, like, we, we do something, and if, if I ask the wrong question, you guys won't stop talking to each other. Like, if I say something that's too funny, then you just lose it and I have to just kind of stand up here by myself for, like, a minute and a half and wait for you to, like, oh, oh, where, I'm in greenhouse. okay. Back up here, right? And, and we just have to kind of wait sometimes. And Jesus does this. He says, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the fulfillment of that passage. It's been fulfilled in your hearing uh, right here. I'm the son of God. And everybody kind of loses it for a minute. And then finally, finally he kind of he has to like quiet them down. And, and, and then he, he, uh, he, he's, he starts poking the bear a little bit. So there's, there's an excitement there. Like, I mean, if, if, if they're hoping for this and they've been wondering about this and now it's been confirmed and and there's there's a, a, a level of excitement that's what they that's what they're murmuring about they're, they're talking about like can can can, can you believe this could this possibly be true and so they're they're um i don't think they're upset about it yet and then he starts poking the bear so he he um my page turned there it is he rolled up the scroll, he gives it back to him, and they said, and, and, uh, it's fulfilled in your hearing, and it says that all of them spoke well of him. Well, all of them marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? I've heard that taught, like that was like a bad thing. Like, isn't this Joseph's kid? Like, we know Joseph. He builds chairs. Like, he built my dining room table. Isn't that his kid? Like, I've heard it taught like that, but I don't think that's what the passage is saying. It's, it's, they, they, they spoke well of him. They marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? It's almost like they're saying, um, like, can you believe this is Joseph's kid? Can you believe this is Joseph's kid? Like, like the one we've heard about, the one that did these miracles, the one that's, that's teaching with us authority, the one that's claiming to be fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah. Like, can you, can you believe this is, this is Joseph's kid? This is our hometown boy. Like, I taught this kid Sunday school. I mean, like, can, can you believe that this is Joseph's kid? I don't think they're upset yet. And so then, then he, he starts poking the beard. He says in verse uh, 23, he says, Doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. He's like, so I, I, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I just told you I was the Messiah. Um, you've kind of heard some of the, the legends and stuff. You want me to do something cool, don't you? Everybody's like, I mean, if you're offering... That'd be awesome. Yeah, like, why, why not, right? I mean, if, if Jesus were here, would there not be something inside of you that just wanted to see something insanely miraculous? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, it makes belief real easy when, when he starts doing, you know. So he's like, I, I know what you're thinking. You're, gonna, you're, you're thinking that phrase that we use, that physician, heal yourself. You, you get what that means, right? Like, if, if you're a doctor and you're, um, you're always sick, then you're probably not a very good doctor, <laughs> Right? He's like, so, so if, if you're saying you, you got the skills here, then let's see some evidence. Let's prove it. So if you're saying that you're, you're, this, you're the Messiah, then prove it. Prove it. 
That's something that we're, we're all too uh, used to hearing from people. Especially before people now, like they come to a point where they trust it, they place their faith in Jesus. Before that, they just, they want him to prove it. They want him to dance. They want God to do something in a, in a, in a tangible way that, is, that precludes faith. That where I don't have to have faith because I saw him do this thing. And if he'll jump through my hoop, if he'll dance for me, then I'll, I'll just, I'll believe because I've seen it. I don't want to have faith. I want him to dance. And basically what he says is not going to happen. Basically, he says, I know what you're wanting. I know that you're going to want me to prove it to you. And I'm just telling you, it's, it's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen. And so he, he, and he goes one step further than that. He starts explaining exactly why. He, he reminds them of two stories from the Old Testament. And, and, and both of these um, were cutting these are stories that weren't like talked about a lot. These weren't people's favorite, you know, stories from when they were a kid. They didn't talk about these. The first one was um, about Elijah. And, and, and he reminds them that Elijah was sent to take care of a widow during this, this really long drought. There's a big famine and, and, and uh, God was taking care of Elijah and he took care of this widow that Elijah was with at the same time. And, and, and he points out that the widow was not one of the insiders, was not like was not one of the churchy people, was not one of the Jews, was not like in Jerusalem or something. And he says there's a whole bunch of widows that God could have taken care of. He could have sent Elijah to a whole bunch of people, and he didn't. He sent them to an outsider. He, he sent Elijah to, to an outsider. He didn't send it to one of the insider churchy people that are hanging out in synagogue in Nazareth. He, like he's, I sent them to an outsider. And he goes one step further. It's a worse story. He, t- he reminds them that the, the prophet Elisha, he, he was sent um, to heal a leper. Somebody had leprosy. It's like a really awful skin disease. And he said, there's a whole bunch of lepers in the, in the people of God, the churchy people, the, like the, the people that think they're following the rules, the people that might have deserved it. You ever feel like you deserve stuff from God? So that, there's a whole bunch of people that it would have seemed like they would have deserved it. But Elisha didn't heal them. He healed Naaman. It was a... Uh, it was a <laughs> He was a commander of a Syrian army, like Syria, like travel ban of refugees from Syria because we're afraid of terrorists, Syria, commander of a Syrian army, like legit Syrian terrorist. God healed him. He's like, there's plenty of lepers God could have picked, plenty of people that were that would have seemed like they would have deserved it. Plenty of people with a better resume than a Syrian terrorist. And God healed the Syrian terrorist. Isn't that interesting? He's looking at a bunch of people that had the right resume. He's looking at a bunch of people that were doing the right thing. Man, they were in synagogue on Sabbath. They were there on time. Like, they shook everybody's hand when the greeting time came. They did all the right little things. They, 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 they had it down. They were trying to follow all the rules. And they were doing a good job of following the rules. And they were proud of themselves for following the rules. And he says, hey, look, I want to remind you, um, uh, God's not interested in your resume. God repeatedly has gone after the poor He's repeatedly gone after the oppressed. He's repeatedly gone after the spiritually blind. Like he's, he's repeatedly gone after the people with the worst resumes. And you guys have a great resume. And I'm just telling you, like, if you're wanting me to dance so that you can have me prove it to you, I'm, I'm not going to do it. It's, it's just, it's, it's, not, 
going to happen. He's like, did you, did you miss the Isaiah passage? Because we, we read that, you know, we read that together. And we got those words, that the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. And, and we kind of we just glance over that. We, we kind of skip to the end where it's, it's that the Messiah was going to come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But it's to whom? Who is the Messiah coming to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor? Who is he coming to proclaim the good news to? Just to let's look at it again. It says, first to the poor. These are, these are metaphors. So it says, first to the poor. This is spiritually poor. So spiritual poverty means that that, um, that that person who possesses spiritual poverty, who is spiritually poor, recognizes that they don't bring anything to the table. They don't have anything to bring before God. Like, like my best effort is trash before him. Like, I, I'm not good enough. I have nothing of, of, of value to offer to God. I don't have anything at all. I, do you, I don't, I don't think many of us believe that. I think a lot of us think that we, we are good people, we do some good things, and so God is going to be happy with us because we do some good things. He didn't say people who do good things. He said people who are spiritually poor. He said he was going to bring freedom to the captives. Captives is, is people who are literally in, in bondage to sin and know it. Those who are wrapped up by, that are, that are enslaved to sin and can't rip away from it no matter what they do. Where they know that they need outside assistance. It's like, I'm not coming for the people that feel like they've conquered sin on their own. Feel like in their power and in their greatness that they've figured this out and they don't need any help. I'm not, it's not them. It's the people who know that they need help, who know that they're a wreck. I'm coming for them. I'm coming for the wrecks. I'm not coming for the people who think they've got it all together. He says the spiritually blind. Those who just like dwell in darkness and can't see a path forward and can't see a hope and can't see a future. Those people who recognize that, that unless, unless something happens, unless God intervenes, that I'm, I'm just, I'm, a, I'm lost. I, I, don't, I can't do this. I'm not coming for the people who can see their future and they, they, they've got this thing planned out. They know exactly what they're doing. And if they just invest in their 401k from the time that they're 23, they're going to be able to retire when they're 54. And it's going to be beautiful. I'm going to have this perfect little life and I'm going to have a three-story house. And it's going to be glorious. I'm not, I'm not worried about that. I'm, I'm the people who are, can't see through the end of the, the day without me. And then the oppressed. The oppressed. Those whom... Um, they are overwhelmed by life's pain and the burden of sin, and they just are weighed down by the reality of their situation. He's like, I, I, I'm, the, the Messiah is coming for those who know they need a Messiah. Like salvation is coming to those who know they need a Savior. That salvation is available to those that know they need to be saved. And everybody else who thinks they've got a great resume and they've got it all put together and them and their strength are going to be able to handle this, salvation will not come. What he's saying to his hometown, people he's known his whole life, is look, like, God's not going to do crazy powerful stuff right here, right now today, because you think you've got this covered, so you're good, right? You don't need God to show up and do anything significant in your life, because you've got it. So don't whine about it. Don't whine about it, because, like, God's, God's not going to, I'm, I'm not going to dance. You've got this covered. You don't need me, right? There's something the people of Nazareth that they were so proud. They were so proud of their resume. They are so proud of their goodness. They are so self-righteous. You know what self-righteous means? Self-righteous means that, that, that you think that, 
It, was, it means that a person would think that they have everything together, that they have achieved a level of goodness that is sufficient. I'm good enough. I'm better than the bad kids. I know who the bad kids are. I'm crushing them. I'm like six miles ahead of them on the ladder. Like, I'm, I'm destroying that. Like, I'm, I'm one of the best kids in my grade. I stay out of trouble. I've got this. I'm doing a good job. I've got a handle on sin. I'm not spiritually poor. I'm not captive, uh, held captive by sin. I'm not blind. I can see. I know exactly what I'm doing with my life. And I'm, and I'm not oppressed. I'm conquering this thing, man. Life is good. I've got this. I've got the right friends. My family's doing okay right now. I know what school I'm going to. I've got a legit GPA. I've got this covered. I'm good. That was the people of Nazareth. I'm good. And what Jesus says is, okay, you're good. I got it. I'm going to go hang out with the busted people. I'm going to go hang out with the ones that aren't good. I'm going to go hang out with the ones that need uh, forgiveness, who need to be set free, who understand the reality of their sin, who are a literal mess. I'm going to go save the broken. I'm going to go seek and save the lost. I'm not coming for the shiny people, the pretty people. I'm not coming for them. They didn't take it well. Things didn't... Uh, go well at all actually in verse 28 it says that when they heard these things everybody in the synagogue was filled with wrath and this is how their relationship with Jesus went they heard he wasn't interested in their resume and this is how their relationship with Jesus worked they rose up they drove him out of town brought him to the brow of the hill that's like a cliff on which their town was built so they could throw him off the cliff that didn't go as planned, right? Jesus gets up, he unrolls a scroll, he reads it, sits down, says, yeah, that's, that's about me. I'm the son of God. And you want me to do a trick? And I'm not going to. Because you're good. You're good, right? I'm going to go hang out with the busted people. And then God's going to save them. And you're going to get passed over unless you, unless you drop your pride. And they got so angry um, that, that this guy would, would, would have the audacity to say that God was interested in the lowly people and that he wasn't interested in their resume. Like he's like, I'm, I'm, that this guy would have the audacity to say that they hadn't earned a right to, to know God. Like, they, like they, he'd have the audacity to say that, no, no, you're, you and all of your greatness, you are going to be excluded from this. You're going to miss out on the greatest thing, the greatest news the world has ever known. You're going to miss out on that because you're so inwardly focused. You're so focused on you and your goodness. They were so infuriated that he would, he would, he would dare to say that about them. That they chased the Son of God to a cliffside. We're going to throw them off. They rejected Jesus because he called, called them out for being self-righteous. They rejected Jesus for saying in all of their goodness they weren't good enough. And then they got their miracle. They did get him to do something. They did get him to do something cool. They're like, hey, we're going to need you to do something cool so you can prove it to us. And he says, no. And then he gets to the cliffside and then he does something cool. It says, but passing through their midst, he just went away. <laughs> It's like, uh, hey, you that miracle you wanted? Watch this. Bye. They got their miracle. 
And their miracle was him disappearing out of their life. What they rejected was the nature of salvation. The idea that God would dare reject the people who look like they have it all together. So my question is this, do you look like you have it all together? They rejected Jesus because he had the audacity to say that the gospel would reject the people who think they have it all together. So my question is, do you think you have it all together? This is a terrifying passage. Do you think you have it all together on your own, in your glory, in your might, in your intelligence? Do you have it all together? If so, that's a scary place to be. Do you, do you think that you're solid? Do you think that you've got life figured out right now? Like your, your situation right now is good. You've, you've curated the perfect little teenage life right now. Do you feel like you're, you're solid, like you're, you're good? You've done this. Then what do you need him to do? Like if, if, you're so, if, if your life has been manicured so well by you, then what do you need him for? Do you believe that if you work hard enough, your life is going to go well? Do you believe that if, if you just work hard enough that you're going to make your life go the way you want it to go, that you're going to have the career path that you want to have, that you're going to have the cute little three kids and two and a half kids, whatever it is you want, like you're going get, to get there because you're so good at this. Do you think that you're going to have the life that you want to have because you're so legit? Do you believe that God is happy with you when you act better than the bad kids? So did they. They brought their pride and their accomplishments to God and said, look how great I am. Aren't you proud? This happens over and over across the New Testament where people bump into Jesus and they're like, look how great I am. Aren't you proud? And Jesus just backs away. Jesus came to proclaim the good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, to give sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed. So I, I, my, my plea is for all of us to, to look hard at our souls, to hold the condition of our heart up against the holiness of God, to see if there is pride and self-righteousness welled up in us. And if so, recognize all of that pride and all that self-righteousness and all that self-worth as sinful and seek, seek forgiveness. Recognize how much of a mess we are and allow God to do something about it. I'm afraid that the greatest thing that's separating American Christians slash just American people from the gospel is your greatness. I think the thing that separates most of us from the gospel is our greatness. Where you live, from your background, you don't have a lot of physical needs. You don't identify with being poor and captives and blind and oppressed, and neither did I until I saw my sin more clearly. And then I saw how much of a wreck I was and how much I needed Jesus. If you don't think you're a wreck, you haven't seen yourself clearly yet. Do you look like you have it all together? So Jesus came and died and rose again to give life to those who rely on him. 
So are you relying on Jesus or are you relying on yourself? Let me pray for you real quick. Our band's coming up. Um, and, and they're going to lead us a couple of songs. But just right there, like, before we pray, I just, I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes and just ask yourself some of those questions, man. Am I relying on myself? Have I, have I, have, have you, just be honest with yourself. Like, are you, are you counting on yourself to pull yourself through? Do you know what you need Jesus for? Because if you don't, that probably means you don't have him. That probably means you're lost. So just ask yourself, like, do I, am I relying on myself or am I relying on Jesus? And if the honest answer is that you're relying on yourself, then you need to talk with me or, or one of our leaders or a friend or something about what it means to, to follow Jesus, what it means, what Jesus has to say about your sinfulness. And, and we can try to help you come to a point where you see yourself the way we see ourselves and, the, and, and see Jesus in the way that we see him as the one who has put broken, prideful, arrogant people back together. Just come for us as the poor, as the captives, as the blind, as the oppressed, and he has set us free. We want you to know Jesus the way we know Jesus. So all you have to do is you have to walk up to an adult or a friend and say, hey, can we talk? And we'll help, it, we'll help you figure out where to go from there. That's all you have to get out. You just walk up to an adult or a friend and say, hey, can we talk? would love to tell you about what it means to follow Jesus. I want to pray for you. God, um, this, uh, this, this message terrifies me. Um, that the people who thought they had it together, that thought it was, um, they, that they had figured life out were the ones that were going to be passed over. And the ones who knew they didn't have life figured out were the ones that were going to find Jesus. God, I want to find Jesus. I want to walk with him. And so help me and all of us to see clearly our sin, our need for a Savior. God, we don't want to be the people that chase Jesus off the cliff and are mad at him because saying we're not, we're not worthy. Like we're, we're, our, like we're going to get passed over. God, we want to be the people who meet him, who know him, who are saved by him, who are set free by him, who glory in him. God, help us not to glory in ourselves. It's in your son's name, pray. Amen.